From high atop Rocky Road in Moab, Utah, it's KZMU News. I'm Molly Marcello. It's Friday, February 10th. Listeners, we are in a bit of a transition moment at KZMU News. Right now, we're aiming to bring a reporter into the department, hopefully over the next few weeks. And as we do that, we're going to experiment with a few things. That means on Fridays, the weekly newsreel will be airing solo for the moment. Thanks so much for sticking with us as we bring our news department back up to full capacity and keep it sustainable. But first, what happened at the what meeting? Happened at what, the happened meeting? At the meeting? what happened at the meeting? Whatever happened what happened at the, at the meeting? What uh, exactly happened at the meeting? The Grand County Commission was in session this week. Maggie McGuire of the Moab Sun News tells us what happened. At this week's Grand County Commission meeting, the Water Board from Thompson Springs discussed the legal challenges and possible futures for providing water to the small town north of Moab. Commissioners also considered a handful of appointments to local boards and reapproved SkyWest Airlines to be the provider at Canyonlands Regional Airport. And that's what happened at the meeting. This exercise in civics is a collaboration between the Moab Sun News and KZMU News. You can watch these local government meetings on YouTube. Find Grand County, Utah and Moab City there. And now the weekly newsreel, where we check in with reporters on their latest stories of the Moab area. When winter recreationists in our area get into trouble, an elite team of volunteers is called upon for rescue. Sophia Fisher of the Times Independent wrote about them for this week's edition. Got to profile the Grand County Search and Rescue's Winter Rescue Team, which is a specialized group of a few dozen men and women who conduct winter rescues in the LaSalle Mountains for a variety of recreationists, from skiers to snowboarders to splitboarders and snowmobilers, all the S's. (laughs) Um, They're very cool people, and I got to hang out for a training on Monday. Okay, and by hangout, does that mean you were up in the mountains? No, I wish. They did have a field training day last Saturday, but I had some previous scheduling requirements, Mm. so I wasn't able to make it there, but we got some awesome photos from folks who participated. And when they were up in the mountains that day, they were practicing probe lines, um, which is when you stick this long like tent pole into mm. snowdrifts that have been caused mm-hmm. by avalanches to search for folks who have been buried. Uh, they also practiced finding beacons also buried in snow. Uh, folks tried to find two beacons buried within a 50 by 50 meter square um, of snow buried a meter deep. And the person who won found her two beacons in less than three and a half minutes, which is very impressive. Wow. Okay. So this is the crew that's called upon to do any sort of rescue during winter weather in our community. Exactly. And Mm. what kind of rescues are they dealing with? Yeah, I mean, I I spoke with Captain Scott Soley, and he said that a lot of the types of things they deal with, I mean, they do dig people out from avalanches, which is what the field training kind of covered. But a lot of the time it is also, you know, similar to other search and rescue missions and that somebody has broken a leg or sprained, Mm -hmm. you know, sprained a leg or something like that, a lot of leg injuries. Mm. Um, He did say that the big difference, though, is that the conditions they're rescuing people in wildly vary from those of, like, typical search and rescue missions. Um, You know, they're conducting these missions at high altitudes, often at night because of the long nights here in the winter. He said low temperatures are a guarantee. There's often high winds and potentially active precipitation or, you know, snow and these rescues are happening. So just dealing with the conditions is a huge part of this team's um, forte. And you went, as you said, you know, you went to a training here in town. Was there anything that um, stood out to you about the training and that you felt compelled to, to highlight? Yeah, it was really fascinating. I actually, so I went to just like a kind of a conference room training 
meeting where some folks from Grand County EMS came and talked about basic first aid that winter rescuers can provide mm-hmm. um, when doing these rescues before they bring them to EMS, of mm-hmm. course. Um, and just absolutely fascinating to hear about treatment for the type of injuries and difficulties they see up on the mountains and just the differences that the winter recreationists tend to get in their injuries. Um, mm-hmm. I remember um, Captain Jordan Lister, who was the EMS person giving the presentation, talked about like folks wearing hard shell layers. You can't necessarily tell if they're bleeding because frequently the blood won't mm-hmm. seep through the way it would for normal clothing. So mm-hmm. it's important to like stick your hand into that to wow. see if someone's bleeding and mm-hmm. all sorts of just specialized considerations when they're up mm-hmm. there. And they've already had to deal with some pretty high impact rescues. I'm thinking of the helicopter that crashed in the mm-hmm. mountains, right? Yeah, that was the last call they went on, I think, was the helicopter in early December. Um, and before that, I think the last two were leg injuries. Um, and Scott Soley said that, you know, the, the team has increased over the years and there's been, you know, as with the rest of Moab, a lot more winter recreation. Um, he said when the team was formed in 1992 or so, there were like maybe 15 people in Moab skiing up in the mountains. Mm-hmm. And now it's, you know, dozens, if not hundreds over the course of a winter. Anything else to highlight from this piece, Sophia? Yeah, it was really interesting that the team actually was founded in, I believe it was 1992, right around the time one of the worst avalanches in Utah occurred Mm -hmm. up in the LaSalle's. It claimed the lives of four skiers, including one person who was an avalanche forecaster. So Mm -hmm. a very tragic beginning to a very important and heroic team of people. Did you mention this already? Is this team volunteer? Yes. Amazing. Yes. And they want more people, especially folks who are capable snowmobilers. Mm -hmm. Um, And Soli said that they always welcome donations as well. All right. All right. Well, thank you for highlighting this piece and take us somewhere else in this latest edition of the TI. Certainly. I had the pleasure of interviewing Mike Kennerly, who is the new director of the Canyonland Solid Waste Authority. He started just last week um, and his hiring followed a, quote, arduous six-month search after former director Evan Terrell left for Mm. Los Alamos in May. Yeah, this position has been vacant, as you said, for a while, for six months. Mm -hmm. Um, Any insight into, before we talk about Mike, um, any insight into why it was so difficult to find? a replacement. I don't know the specifics, but I would guess that, you know, general housing costs, there's a shortage of employees in a lot of different mm-hmm. sectors at this point. And I would imagine that waste management is a, it's a fairly specialized field. You know, I don't yeah. think you have people working in the higher echelons of that, just like wandering around generally the way you might yeah. with, you know, doctors or nurses, mm-hmm. a more common profession. This is a specific job. All right. So tell us about Mike and, um, you know, his background and what you all chatted about. Absolutely. And, and just, you know, as I mentioned before, it's a very specialized field. And Kennerly seems to have excellent qualifications in, in this field. He is reaching just about his 30th year of experience in solid waste mm-hmm. management. Um, that includes positions with Charleston County in South Carolina. And mm-hmm. he actually also, I thought this was really cool. He worked as a recycling coordinator slash promoter in Illinois right around the time that recycling was becoming a commonly accepted practice in the early 90s. Mm, okay. And this is um, important because the Solid Waste District has a lot going on. They do single stream recycling and they do source separated recycling at the recycle center. Plus, of course, managing our landfills. So it's Mm -hmm. a big job. Yes. And there was a merger, actually. The Solid Waste District merged with Monument Waste two years ago. Of course, that is two years in the past. But Kennerly said he still wants to work to better integrate processes because there are a lot of just like operational flows that are just still getting mashed, essentially. So he said he's really excited. Uh, He said he's really enjoyed his time in Moab and Grand County so far. He's amazed by the views, of course. 
Congress. And yeah, he said right now his, his main goals are um, working to better integrate processes and, and increase efficiency of routes. But he is excited to look at ways to increasing recycling or diversion rates in the future. Let's move on to a, a one more article in the Times Independent. This is an update on the bill that um, Representative Phil Lyman has been talking about that basically targets Green County's economic diversification funds. So tell us about this, Sophia. Yes. Uh, so the bill that could strip Grand County of its newfound economic diversification abilities has been numbered and named and written. It's out to the public. Um, this is House Bill 416, Transient Room Tax Amendment, sponsored by Grand County's own representative, Phil Lyman, though it does not have a co-sponsor yet, as, as of okay. what I know. Um as folks know, the idea of this economic diversification amendments took the county and the community by storm a couple of weeks ago uh, because there was confusion as to whether the bill would also aim to change adjustments made in 2021 around tourism mitigation funds, which would have caused mm-hmm. a huge budget shortfall this year and uh, potentially caused the sheriff's office to cut six deputies. Um, mm-hmm. That change is not part of the written bill. The bill only looks at this economic diversification portion of the legislation. So we can all breathe a sigh of relief there. And, and basically, what the bill proposes to do is essentially expedite a sunset date that was already in place for mm-hmm. these um, this ability to funnel some TRT revenue towards economic mm-hmm. diversification. Uh, that funneling of funds was already set to expire in 2026, and this bill would um, expedite that to July 1st of this year. Okay. Did you speak with Representative Lyman or anybody from the county on a response to the bill? I was able to speak with Representative Lyman as well as Jacques Hadler, who's the chair of the Grand County Commission. Yes, Representative Lyman, he said he supports economic diversification in Grand County as a concept. He said he did think that Grand County did have enough marketing, um, but the reasons he cited for this bill were that representatives of the hotel and lodging industry had approached him expressing concerns about the STAR grant, which funneled about a million dollars of the economic diversification monies towards um, several dozen local businesses and entrepreneurs. Um, Lyman said that these, these lodging and hotel representatives said that some of the distributions seemed kind of conflict of interesty or more about who you knew um, and, and said that some of the grants went towards um, tourism-based businesses, which hadn't necessarily been the intent of the funds. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and when I spoke with Jacques Hadler, he said, he was like, we're literally lobbying about this as we speak. Um, mm-hmm. He had, you know, just gotten out of a meeting with Representative Lyman and, you know, he still says he's very frustrated that Lyman is proposing pushing up this already existing sunset date. And he says we should have the opportunity to prove up this program. It's only been around mm-hmm. for about a year. Um, so so um, I know that Hadler um, and, and Mary McGann, the vice chair, and other folks at Grand County are going to continue advocating on this as long as they can. Okay. All right. So this is an evolving story um, as ever when you cover the legislature. Yes. And importantly, um, the state legislative general session, it ends March 3rd. So we're just about halfway through. So there is still plenty of time in the session for, for this to develop and potentially become law. Well, thank you so much, Sophia, for the update on this. And finally, there's an article on the inside of the paper about Moab's oldest resident. Yes, uh, K. Stoy, Moab's oldest resident, passed away peacefully at the age of 107 um, on February 4th. Wow, 107. And um, she had, you know, graced the pages of the local papers at several moments in her life. Can you tell us a little bit about her? Absolutely. Um, Kay was born in California in 1915. And she actually worked uh, throughout World War II with the U.S. Coast Guard um, and served as a lieutenant as well until she met her husband. Um, Eventually, they moved to Moab in the 50s. And she remained involved here with work and social and charitable activities until she was almost 100. 
1900, which is really impressive. She was in the Coast Guard in World War II, everyone. Mm. So that's pretty amazing. Impressive. Yes. And the TI has featured her in past years as she turned, you know, 104 and right. five and six. I mean, just in incredible right. ages. And I know she enjoyed a, a glass of Chardonnay every afternoon. I remember writing that about her last year. Um, and she's, she's a very tight-knit family who love to visit her at the Cary Center. So I'm sure they're very sad about her passing, but it is a very impressive life that she lived. Sophia Fisher, reporter at the Times Independent. Subscription info and more stories can be found at moabtimes.com. SkyWest Airlines will continue flying passengers in and out of Canyonlands Regional Airport. But as Allison Harford of the Moab Sun News explains, it will soon look a little different. On February 7th, the Grand County Commission had a meeting, um, and in it they talked about the Canyonlands Regional Airport and a bunch of stuff, but mostly they talked about this new contract for service with SkyWest Airline. So that's the airport's essential air service provider, which means that they use a federal subsidy to maintain a regular flight schedule. Um, So this program was created in the 1970s when airlines were deregulated to protect small communities like ours from losing access to the national air transportation system. So our airport still isn't popular enough to have its own um, airline companies come here. So we still use this program. So recently, the United States Department of Transportation put out a request for proposals to serve the Moab area and received only one bid from SkyWest. So this proposal still includes service to both Denver and Salt Lake City with six flights a week to each destination. But the new contract will drop the number of passengers per flight from 50 to 30. And this was explained by the airport director, Tammy Howland. She said that this move allows SkyWest to employ pilots with an easier to obtain certification than the certification needed to fly 50 passengers. Mm, Okay, so this has to do with um, staffing, I guess, at SkyWest. Right, yeah, nationally a lot of airlines have struggled to hire enough pilots to meet demand. Mm -hmm. Were there concerns about this switch from 50 to 30? Yeah, a little bit. Um, Tammy Holland said that she was definitely a little bit disappointed and she had an option to renew this contract for two or four years, but she picked two years so that there would be a sooner opportunity to maybe boost the number of passengers back up to 50. Mm. Like you explained, Grand County doesn't really have a lot of say or our airport doesn't really have a lot of say when it comes to who is the provider. Um, it is subsidized, you know, with federal money. Um, so we sort of take what options are given to us. Is that right? Right. Yeah. The cost to incentivize an airline to come to Moab would be about five and a half million dollars. Wow. The history of um, essential air service here is kind of interesting. You know, it was just like a few, feels like a few short years ago that we had the prop planes from boutique airlines that didn't even have TSA. You didn't go through (laughs) TSA. Um, So, and 30 passenger service is something that Canyonlands Regional Airport has had before. Um, It got up to 50. So I guess just backwards a little bit. Right. The commissioners were definitely a little bit disappointed, but we will still have air service, which is great. All right. So moving on, where else do you want to take us on the Moabs and News? So next we can go to food pantries. So this week I called around to the Grand County Food Bank, the St. Francis Episcopal Church Food Pantry, and the food pantry at Moab Valley Multicultural Center to ask what this winter looked like. And all three food resources said that their numbers rose really heavily during January and December. 
Mm, okay, now I can make some educated guesses, but would you tell me, you know, why they think that is? Yeah, so I talked to Miriam Graham at the Grand County Food Bank and Dave Sackerson, who's the pastor at the church. And I also talked to Rihanna Medina at MVMC. And they all said it's hard to pin down an exact reason why food insecurity is rising our, in our community, but it may be exacerbated by high food prices, which we've seen um, all across the nation. And we've also seen high prices in Pretty much everything else, like the cost of living everywhere is really high right now. Um, there's also a lack of seasonal work in the winter. So people who may come here for seasonal work may find themselves out of a job um, this season. And also there's an expected reduction in monthly benefits for supplemental nutrition assistance program recipients. That's the SNAP program. So under the declared public health emergency for COVID-19, the government was giving around $100 in extra monthly benefits to SNAP recipients. But because that declaration wasn't renewed recently, it's about to expire in April, um, SNAP recipients will stop receiving the extra mm -hmm. monthly benefit at the end of February. So yeah. they received their last one this month. Yeah. So there's a lot of stuff going on. Um, I went to the grocery store here and wrote down a couple food prices. So across the nation, everyone knows we've seen really high increases in eggs, butter, flour, oils, and bakery products, especially. And right now, a dozen eggs at Moab City Market will cost a topper $5.79, which is a lot. It's a and lot. a dozen organic eggs will cost $9.00. A pound of butter is $5.29, a gallon of milk is $3.89. And so MVMC usually offers a dozen eggs in each of its food pantry boxes. Mm. But Medina said as egg prices rise, the Multicultural Center has had to offer only a half dozen eggs to some recipients. Yeah, once those eggs go over that $4 like threshold, it gets really tough. Right, definitely. So I also talked to Jeanette Bott, who is the CEO at the Utah Food Bank, and she said the Utah Food Bank helps food banks, like, they donate food to Grand County Food Bank and the Episcopal Church. Mm -hmm. And she said that if you've had a family who's impacted financially during COVID and then all of a sudden we're dealing with this inflation and they've never really been able to get back on their feet completely, it doesn't matter when egg prices come down because mm -hmm. this family is still struggling in every other aspect of their life. And so Bot said that at the Utah Food Bank, they thought recovery from COVID would take 18 to 24 months, but she thinks right now it's going to be way longer than that with all the struggles. Some families are facing. So, you know, as far as the food bank, we have three sources, as you said. How are they doing with donations? You talked a little bit about Medina with the egg situation, but are they concerned about having enough? So I asked them about that, too, and it really fluctuates all the time. Mm -hmm. So the Grand County Food Bank has seen a ton of fluctuation. Same with the Utah Food Bank and the Episcopal Church, but they all um, are doing okay. It's just a little bit pricier now to offer food to people. And also the Utah Food Bank said something really interesting, which is that they will get these kind of like emergency prompts from the food banks that they supply around mm -hmm. the whole state. But it's really hard when like the Grand County Food Bank or the Episcopal Church notify the Utah Food Bank because their center is up in Salt Lake City. And so it would take a whole day to travel down to Moab to deliver these emergency goods. Mm. But by the end of the summer, the Utah Food Bank will have a new warehouse located in Blanding. So Bot said that she thinks distribution will be much easier and more cost effective by the summer. And so um, hopefully by then, the food banks won't have any scarcity. 
Mm, okay, yeah, it's it's got to be difficult to transport all across, you know, Utah, especially to rural Utah. Right. Well, thank you for that overview, Allie. And um, moving on to one more story in the Moabs and News, you were able to go to a very unique art opening. So tell us about this. Yeah. So for five years, HMK Elementary has had a student art invitational. And so the art invitational is back this month at Gallery Moab, and it shows off the work of 10 student artists. Okay. All right. This is very exciting stuff for our local students. A chance for them to hang their, you know, student art projects in a real gallery. Yeah, it's really cool. And so there are students of all ages who are showing their art here and a lot of different mediums. So Bruce Hucko said a lot of these pieces were created while students worked at home and a couple of them were created with class time. But he really wanted to highlight students who show a real passion for art. So I got to talk to some of the students. One of them, her name's Avery. She created this really cool drawing of a girl reading under the tree but the tree itself is turning into a book and so Mm. the whole piece is like the person who's viewing it is trying to find all the pieces Mm. of this story while the girl under the tree is still quietly reading and so Avery said the whole concept is just showing you her creativity and so she tried to put all of these pieces together in a challenge for herself but also in a way that would really make this big like riot of color so the piece uses paint and beads and felt and oil pastels and markers and it's really fun and beautiful and something that Bruce Hucko also highlighted is that while the art exhibit is really exciting for the kids it's also really supposed to be an inspiration for people in Moab too because kids are really creative and they're not afraid to do art and you know as we get older it becomes kind of this scary thing Um, And we think that you have to have a certain talent to do art or something like that. But kids just always draw and do art so spontaneously. Mm -hmm. And so it's supposed to inspire adults also to be able to channel that creative spirit. Sure. Yeah, I do want to point out like the students that you were talking to for this piece, you know, they're in elementary school. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And, you know, you've written, we were talking a little bit before we started recording, you know, you've written a lot of pieces about artists in our community. How was it for you to interview these? kids it was really really fun I love talking to anyone about art that they make and it's all so intentional and basically all the kids said that they really enjoy doing art because it's something that they can just do kind of like by themselves and they can just sit down and do something creative like you don't really need any special materials or anything like that it's just something you can do by yourself at any time so I also talked to seven-year-old Pearl who drew a dragon and she called it my dragon Mm -hmm. and she said she recently watched a couple dragon movies that were very inspiring to her and so she depicted this like pink and purple dragon in flight with all these hearts on it and she said that sometimes drawing brings her into different worlds which is very cute yeah and there was another girl named lily who's 11 who's really into drawing landscapes and her landscapes are beautiful Mm. um they look so professionally done and Mm. so she 
um, really has this like depth of skill and mastery of materials that Bruce Huckle also pointed out. And Lily has her own set of paints and everything at home. And so she often paints at home, which is great. And she said, art is just fun. (laughs) (laughs) Anything else to say about this event? Oh, yeah. So the exhibit um, shows the work of 10 students, and it'll be on display at Gallery Moab throughout the month of February. Allison Hartford, reporter at the Moab Sun News. Subscription info and more stories can be found at moabsunnews.com. That's it for the Weekly News Reel, where we check in with reporters on their latest stories of the Moab area. You can find the pieces that were mentioned today in the show notes at our website, kzmu.org, or wherever you listen to the KZMU News podcast. As always, thanks for tuning in and supporting KZMU, community-powered radio.